Turn, if you would, tonight to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the time to be back together tonight. I pray that you'd bless these next few moments that we spend together. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to say what uh, needs to be said. Lord, I pray that you'd help it to be a help to uh, each of us tonight. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we were in verse number three, and we watched as the writer said to his audience, Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. And we talked about last week how it was clear that there were some in their time frame uh, that they would have been aware of, some who were in bonds, who were suffering uh, the adversity, the affliction, the persecution, the hard times, whatever it may have been. And it seems to have been connected to their faith as a result of their following of the Lord. And so some were being persecuted, others were not. Some were imprisoned, others were not. And the writer simply said this, you need to remember those who are going through the difficult times. You need to, go through, you need to remember those who are going through these difficult days. And I tried to remind us last week that there are still people who suffer persecution because of their faith. There are still people who have to suffer the consequences because of the decisions they have made in their spiritual lives. And for those of us who do not experience that, for those of us who have not gone through that, the least we can do is strive to remember them and pray for them and try to be an aid to them any chance an opportunity would arise. And I said then, and I'm going to say again uh, now, it is easy for us to lose sight of that, is it not? It is so easy for us to get so wrapped up in what's going on in our own personal lives that we forget that there are people out there who are truly struggling simply because they identify themselves as a believer. And so I hope that last week that prompted us to be a little bit more mindful of it, to spend some more time in prayer for them this week. And I just want to remind us that in the last seven days, nothing has changed. All across this world, there are still people who are still afflicted, who are still suffering, who are excuse me, who are still bound, who are still going through hard times simply because of their faith, and we need to remember to pray for them. All right? All right. So tonight we're going to be in verse number four. As we are, we're just going to go through this, and I'm going to uh, say the, the things that I felt led to uh, present to us tonight. I, I'm going to say this as kind of a disclaimer, all right? I, I know that tonight we're not the largest crowd. Tonight I know that we're not uh, uh, people who are questioning what's about to be said, but it is interesting to me that there is an audience out there, people who listen to the sermons on the Internet and those who listen to the sermons by way of Facebook, uh, sermons that are listened to all the time that are preached here. So you may say, well, why are you saying this? It's not like we question it. All right, I just want it to be that if anyone should click on the link and hear the message, I want them to know where we as a church family stand on the issue, all right? And so if anyone were to be listening right now, if anyone were to be giving attention to this sermon, I want them to know that this is who we are and this is what we believe. And I want to challenge us because every one of us are susceptible to having a, a, a weakened position 
in light of what we're going to be looking at tonight, okay? And so that being said, I just want to ask us to, to consider something tonight. It's, it's silly. I know it is silly. And, and you may say, what is the point of this? I promise you there's a point. How many of us tonight are familiar with a hammer? Most of us are familiar with a hammer, are we not? All of us have used a hammer, I would suspect, at one time or another. Uh, at least all of us adults, we have used a hammer at one point or another. And here's what you know, that if you've ever used a hammer for the purpose of trying to drive a nail, you've probably missed the nail at least one time in your endeavor to hit it with the hammer. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, if you're not very... Uh, uh, used to using a hammer on a regular basis and all of a sudden you decide to hang a picture or you decide that something needs to be nailed up outside, whatever it may be. Uh, if, if you've ever been involved in that, you know that it's not a completely rare occurrence to miss your target and to hit your hand, to hit your finger. Now that being the case, I don't know what everyone's response would be specifically but if you've ever whacked your finger pretty good with a hammer, something of this nature flashed through your mind rather quickly. Ouch. Right? That hurt. So, you know, you're up there and you're tapping it, you're doing it real light, and it's time for you to, to you know, give it a good swing and, and really make an impact on it. And you do it, and it slips off the nail, and it hits your thumbnail just right. You, you can't help but say, ow, shucks, boy, that hurt. Huh, didn't need to do that to be happy, but nonetheless, it happened. Now, this evening, as we think about this, again, you're thinking to yourself, maybe, why are we talking about missing a nail and hitting your finger and the pain that it creates? I want us to think about this, that, that now that we live in the 21st century, suppose someone said something like this. You know, it, it used to hurt to hit your finger with the hammer, but it doesn't hurt anymore. Well, does that change the reality of it? No, you would just sit there and say, well, obviously you are ignorant. Uh, obviously you have never hit your finger with the hammer uh, because here's what you know. It doesn't matter if we're talking about the 21st century or the 14th century. It hurts when you hit your finger with the hammer. Okay, so somebody says, well, you know, we just we don't think it hurts anymore. Well, uh, you would be wrong. If somebody said something like this, well, here, here's what we're doing. We're going to, to begin teaching the next generation that, that if, if, you know, if you handle this correctly, it's not going to hurt. Well, it doesn't matter how correctly you handle it, it's going to hurt. If somebody said something like this, well, you know, I know my grandpa talked about it hurting, but, but it won't hurt me, well, we would say, you're dumb, kid. And if a grandpa said, you know, well, maybe it doesn't hurt as bad as it used to hurt, we would say, come on, Grandpa. What would make you think it hurts any less today than it did when you were a kid? See, there are just some things that are constant. There are just some things that are unchanging. And it does not matter what time frame we are living in, what era we are dealing with, what kind of people we are talking about. There are just certain things that this has always been true. It is true today, and it will always be true. It does not matter how you try to spin it 
This is the truth, and this is the reality of it. All right. Now, why I mention that? Well, I want us to think about that, obviously, in light of verse number 4. Notice what he said in verse number 4. He said, marriage is honorable in all. Marriage is honorable in all. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I read this, one of the things that immediately popped into my mind is this, is that whenever the writer wrote the word marriage, there were just certain things that were just immediately assumed as he used the word marriage. What would have been immediately assumed in their day? Well, it would have been assumed immediately that a marriage was between a man and a woman. Okay? Unfortunately, we don't live in that day. We don't live in that time frame. We don't live with that same kind of general assumption. And so whenever the Scripture speaks of marriage and that it is honorable, and we'll deal with that in just a moment, I want us to be reminded, though we know this, again, this would be for maybe somebody who would listen to this message sometime later, I want us to be reminded of this, that marriage has always been the will of God, it has always been the intent of God for it to be between a man and a woman. All right. There was never a time in Scripture, though homosexuality existed and though lesbianism existed, there was never a time in Scripture where there was an allowance made for there to be same-sex marriages. All right. So the Bible, whenever it speaks of marriage, it is always assumed that it would be understood that the marriage is supposed to be between a man and a woman. So I want to remind us that this evening, whenever we speak of marriage, it does not matter how culture has tried to change the definition of marriage. Marriage in the eyes of God will always be between one man and one woman. So it doesn't matter how they spin it. It doesn't matter how the new generation says to the old generation, hey, listen, you're just stuck in the past. You need to catch up with the times. It doesn't matter if some in the older generation began to accept it, that maybe they began to think that in their minds maybe they were just a little too narrow or they were just a little too harsh. Friends, it does not matter how, how again, people want to spin this and twist it and distort it. Some things never change no matter what the culture says, no matter what the culture does. Marriage is always, always, always supposed to be between a man and a woman. So if you are in an environment where you're supposed to be politically correct, there may be times that you need to keep your mouth shut and just not say anything, but there may need to be times, or there may be times where you need to speak up and just say, you know, that's really not biblical. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you've decided to be truth. From a biblical, scriptural standpoint, marriage is between a man and a woman. All right. So that being said, the writer said that marriage is honorable in all. So what does it mean for a marriage to be honorable? It means this, for it to be precious or something that is highly esteemed. Okay, something that is precious or something that is of value and something that is to be highly esteemed. Okay, and so what the writer is saying this is that marriage is special. This is something that should be viewed with, with, with kind of a special kind of affection, with a special kind of a mindset that, that, that when a person gets married and the idea of marriage, this is something sacred and this is something different from so many other things in this life. 
Now, ideally, here's what you and I would agree to, and I think we would assert that, that this is right, that the best marriage that could possibly had is when a saved man and a saved woman come together in marriage and together strive to serve the Lord in their marriage and in the process of raising children, right? That would be the ideal best situation is when the man and the woman both love the Lord, serve the Lord, have a desire to please the Lord. But notice what he said, that marriage is honorable in all. So what does that mean? It means this, that no matter who it is, no matter the situation, no matter the person's spiritual standing, that marriage is still an honorable, sacred, precious, valuable institution. It is something that ought to be esteemed. It is not something to take lightly. The other day, Susie and I were in a Chick-fil-A, and I happened to be behind this older couple. And the young lady who was waiting on them said this to them, How long have you been married? And the man replied, We've been married 53 years, but we've known each other, known each other since we were in second grade. Now, I thought to myself, that is amazing on many different levels. Now, I don't know their spiritual condition, all right? He never said to the lady, now listen, it's a result of me being a child of God and she's a saved, born-again believer. They didn't go through all that. They just said, we've been married for 53 years and known each other since second grade. I'm just saying that was an honorable testimony no matter who the individuals were. Because marriage is an honorable thing. It is a sacred thing. It is a special thing. And it is something to be highly esteemed. Now, every writer and every commentary that, that I've, I've researched with or, or done reading on, here is what would be assumed also is this, is that not only is marriage honorable, that marriage should also remain honorable that it should continue to, to, to be something, to be a, a relationship that is esteemed and valued and precious and, and considered to be something of high value. Now, why is that important? Why would that be something that our generation and our people need to hear today? Because we live in a day where marriage is not really esteemed like it ought to be esteemed. We are living in a society today, maybe like was happening to an extent in their society, but we are living in a society today where people no longer value marriage as they once did. Now, that is evident in so many different ways. Consider the number of people these days who live together outside of marriage. Uh, come on, I, listen. It's not like a big city problem. Like, uh, you know, them, them big cities, they've got problems with those people living together outside of marriage. Friends, we've got that all over our little town. People who are shacking up, people who are living together prior to their marriage, and, and if you were to ask them, so when are you getting married, here's what you'd find. They have no intentions of getting married. They have no real plans of, of, of making it official. They're, they're not going to confuse things with this piece of paper. They're, they're not too worried about it because, you know, marriage was good for grandma and grandpa, and marriage was okay for, for my mom and my dad and, you know, whatever their story may be, but, but we're just not too worried about that. You know why we're living in a day where so many people are just living together and doing such a thing? It's because we don't honor marriage anymore like we once did. 
It's just the culture that we're living in. And as Christians and as believers, here is what needs to be our mentality, that it doesn't matter how the world has changed, how the world has shifted, how the world has changed their perspective. We have got to realize that marriage has always been an honorable thing and it needs to remain an honorable thing forever. It's also obvious that marriage is not honored like it once was. Not only because of people's lack of desire to get married, but because of people's lack of determination to stay married. Now, 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 I, I, I know who I'm speaking to. Don't take offense. Don't get upset. But let's think about how disposable marriages are these days. It's not because of abuse. It's not because of an unfaithful partner. So many times, marriages fall apart for, for reasons like this. We don't like each other anymore. I don't find them to be interesting like I once did. You know, the spark just isn't there. Well, duh. Would we be honest enough to admit that? That the spark is not nearly as bright many years into the marriage as it was at the beginning? Okay, you don't have to admit that. I'm just saying, if, if we're going to sit here and pretend we're all still a bunch of 19, 20 year old kids, we're lying to ourselves. Yeah, things change. But that's not cause for divorce. That's not cause for going to find someone else and trying to re-enhance the, the excitement and the passion and reignite the flames. Listen, we are living in a society that has no respect and no reverence and no esteem for marriage. And that's the world we're living in. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to be hurtful. I'm not trying to be uh, offensive in what I'm saying. But you look at people who call themselves Christians and you will find that the attitudes and the opinions are, are not very different between professing Christians and those who, who don't identify with the, the things of God. Are you a Christian? Yes. So you're, you're dating this person, right? Yeah. But, but you're going to get married? Well, no, we're just kind of living together right now and, and just seeing how it works. Well, well, time out. I'll just tell you right now, it's not going to work out well. Because that's not the way God designed it. And, and you find people, and, and, and they're married, and they call themselves Christians, and, and they're going through a divorce. Well, well, what is the basis for the divorce? Well, we're just not compatible. Well, two of y'all need to grow up. This has nothing to do with compatibility. This has to do with you as a Christian recognizing the significance of your marriage and it is to be honored, it is to be esteemed. And this is not something that is just disposable that you get to throw away because you want to go find someone else. So he said in verse number 4 that marriage is honorable in all things. And he said, and the bed undefiled. And the bed is undefiled. Well, what is the bed a reference to? Well, just going to touch on this quickly and then we'll move on because we're grown-ups and we can understand this. But it's speaking of the marriage bed. And for the marriage bed to be undefiled, that place of intimacy, here's what it means. It means it is pure and it is clean. And so what happens within the, the, the boundaries or the bonds of marriage, simple as this. It's a good thing. 
It's a pure thing. It's, it's a wholesome thing. It's a clean thing that, that, that what couples as a married couple engages in by way of the married or the, the marriage bed, it, it's good and it's acceptable and it's right in the sight of God. Not only is it good and clean and pure and undefiled, it is supposed to remain that way. The marriage bed is supposed to remain undefiled. So what does that suggest? It suggests this, that it can be defiled. So here is marriage and the marriage bed, the relationship between a man and a woman and the intimacy that they would enjoy as a married couple. The writer says it's honorable and it's undefiled, and it's implied, and it needs to stay this way. But knowing that it can be defiled, and knowing it can be contaminated, the question then would be this. What contaminates it? What fouls it up? What makes it unclean? So notice what he alludes to next in the verse. He said, but whoremongers, but whoremongers, well, what is a whoremonger? Well, a whoremonger is a fornicator. It's what a whoremonger is in this context. It is a fornicator. We know what a fornicator is, don't we? It's one who engages in sexual activity prior to marriage. Okay. Now I, I want us to see this that it is impossible to be a fornicator and suggest that that person honors marriage and esteems it and values it as something that is precious. It is absolutely impossible for someone to be fornicating, for someone to be engaging in something prior to marriage, something that has been reserved only for the couple after marriage, it is impossible for them to engage in that lifestyle and for them at the same time to suggest that they honor what God established in marriage. Now, friends, if you don't think that's important in today's culture, you're not really aware of the trends that are taking place. There are people all over, again, living in fornication that is their lifestyle, that is their approach to their relationships. They would call themselves Christians. They would call themselves children of God. And they would even go so far as to suggest that they honor marriage and that they honor the marriage bed and nothing could be further from the truth. You cannot engage in that manner of life. You cannot engage in that lifestyle and honor marriage in the way it's supposed to be honored. So when someone engages in fornication, here's what has happened. They have disrespected marriage and they have defiled the bed that is supposed to be pure and clean between a married couple. Why do we need this reminder? Because kids today would like to suggest this. 
It's no big deal. Everyone's doing it. The schools say things like this. We're teaching them to be safe in their practice. Well, friends, it doesn't matter if everyone's doing it, and it doesn't matter if the schools are teaching safe practices as they engage in it. It's still wrong, and it's still harmful, and it's something that we still need to believe. You and I cannot afford to say, well, you know, maybe I'm just too old school. Maybe I just need to start accepting that kids aren't going to behave certain ways anymore. I just need to start realizing that this is the way it's probably going to be. You and I cannot afford to adopt that kind of mentality. And I'll show us why in just a couple of moments. But again, when someone lives in fornication, they are completely dishonoring marriage. And they are defiling what the marriage bed is supposed to be. But whoremonger, and you know that I don't do this on a regular basis, but the word whoremonger, any idea where it comes from in the original text? It comes from this Greek word, pornos, or pornos. Now, I wonder if we could sit here for a really long time and figure out what other English word we get from that word, porn-os or porn-os. I wonder if there's anything like pornography. Now, I'm being silly here, but I mean, come on. Pornography. I want us to see this, and again, I know that you know this, But it is impossible, it is impossible for a person to be involved with pornography and for them to be honoring their marriage and the marriage bed that they have been given by God. No one can suggest that they honor their spouse in the way that God designed them to honor one another, and no one can suggest that their marriage is honorable if they are engaging in pornographic activity. It's impossible. That image of that person is not our spouse. So to be partaking of such images, to be partaking of such activities, whatever it may be, if that is a a practice that someone adopts for their personal lives, it is defiling their marriage in every sense of the word. I know you've heard this just like I've heard it, but I'm going to say it anyways that pornography is not just an outside-the-church problem anymore. It is a problem that is in the church in ways that we could not imagine. I know pastors, plural. I know pastors who have admitted to addiction to pornography. 
It is so rampant. It is so available. It is, it's not something that we have to, to order through the magazines and have it delivered to our house. It's, it's not anything that we have to be sneaky about anymore. It is so prevalent. It is so, it is so available. You know this. All we have to do is Google it, and it's available to us. But see, it doesn't matter how available it is, and it doesn't matter how many of our co-workers may be involved in it. It doesn't matter how many people we may know who like to dabble in it some. Friends, if you and I get wrapped up in pornography, it is dishonoring our marriage and every aspect of it, and it is defiling the bed because there is no way in the world that you can engage in that and it not affect the bed that you have with your partner. I know pastors who, are addicted, who, who have been addicted to it, I have heard the pastors talk about the number of people in their churches who are addicted to it. And I've had pastors tell me this, that even in their own churches, they've had wives turn a blind eye to it. Because they assume that everyone does it that their husband is normal and you're not really going to stop it. I just want to remind us, it doesn't matter how the world tries to spin it. It doesn't matter how the world tries to present it. It messes up the marriage. And in a marriage, let me just say this, in a marriage... There are some for reasons I don't quite fully understand. But where they have together brought in the pornography. Friends, that defiles the marriage and the bed as much as if just one of them is engaged in it. It doesn't matter that it's consensual. It doesn't matter that, that both are okay with this. Listen, it's not anything that we as God's people need to be dabbling with whatsoever. So we know what our search history is like on our computers. We know what we've got available to us on our smartphones. We know what we can watch on TV. And I just want to bring it to our attention tonight that if you are messing with pornography at all, it doesn't matter if you are single or if you are older and already married, if you are dabbling with pornography, you are messing up your marriage. End of discussion. There's no place for it. So he said, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers, that is something that will obviously defile the marriage and the marriage bed. And he said, and adulterers. Again, this seems to be an implication of something that would kind of foul up the honor of the marriage. We know what an adulterer is, don't we? Of course we do. It's someone who decides to have a relationship with someone other than their spouse. Okay, that is definitely going to defile the, the sacredness of a marriage. 
It, it doesn't matter if the world says that, that it's okay for men to have something on the side. It doesn't matter if the world says, hey, listen, everyone's going to, to, to kind of partake in this, and it's just the way things are. It doesn't matter if that's the new kind of norm. It, it does not matter what is being said. The adultery, the adultery of a marriage partner always, always, always defiles the bed. Even when there is forgiveness, and even when there is reconciliation, it contaminates things. For this reason, sexual sins are a sin against our own bodies. It's not something that we just get to wash our hands of and and walk away from and saying, yeah, you know, I've got forgiveness over that and that's all in the past. Listen, I understand that forgiveness can be found and I understand that that can all be in the past. But you and I cannot deny this, that once a relationship takes place, there is a physical connection between you and that person that can never be separated, that can never be done away with. And as God's people, we have got to see the seriousness of adultery because Satan would love to destroy marriages with one or both parties committing adultery. It doesn't matter if everyone else is doing it. It doesn't matter if your co-workers are engaged in it. It doesn't matter if it's kind of a blind eye turned by the spouse because it's just what men do. No, it's not what godly men do. Godly men and godly women, they realize this marriage is something that is honorable. This is something that is to be esteemed. This is something that is valuable. This is something that is precious. And the marriage bed, it is pure, it is clean, it is undefiled, and it needs to remain this way. It needs to remain this way. We cannot afford to contaminate it and to foul it up with fornication, with pornography, with adultery, or any other kind of sexual vice that may be out there. For this reason, notice what he said next. He said, But whoremongers and adulterers, those who would defile what is honorable and undefiled, he said this, God will judge. God will judge. Can I ask you to just ponder a question this evening? Do you ever think of God's judgment and think of something enjoyable? I don't. Do you ever think of God's judgment and think of something that will be painless and easy to endure? Again, I don't. What is the writer saying? The writer is saying this, for the whoremonger and for the adulterer, you know what? God always deals with this and God always addresses this. And friends, when God is forced to address sins in our lives, you know what? It always hurts. It's like taking that hammer and trying to trying to drive the nail and and missing and hitting the thumb. It doesn't matter who the person is, it hurts. It doesn't matter how young they are, how old they are, or somewhere in between, it hurts. 
What we have got to remind, be reminded of tonight, and I want us to be reminded of, is this, is that it doesn't matter if we're talking about young kids who are, who are messing up their purity, who are experimenting with things they ought not be experiencing or experimenting with. That is going to hurt them in the long run, and we cannot afford to change our position on things just because kids will be kids. And for those of us who are married, for those of us who are more experienced, for those of us who may not have the pizzazz that we once had, we're not allowed to spice it up outside of the marriage bond. God gave me Susie. God gave you your spouse And that is where all the pleasure and the enjoyment is supposed to come from. No place else and no one else. It really is that simple. Because anything outside of that is going to lead to God's judgment if we force Him to have to deal with our sin. And this evening... There's an element of this message that I don't enjoy preaching because somebody says, well, you don't know my past. You don't know what I'm guilty of. You don't know everything that's happened. You're right, I don't, and I don't want to know what the past looks like. If you're saved, if you're a child of God, if you're born again, if you've repented, then God has forgiven you and that is under the blood. And and friends, it's taken care of as much as any other sin is taken care of. But there must be a determination that from this point forward, that will not be a part of who we are. You may have been a fornicator prior to, merit or prior to salvation, but fornication can no longer be a part of who you are. Pornography may have been something that, that used to be a, a, an issue with you. It, it has to be that you say, by the grace of God and by the power of God, that no longer has any hold on my life. It needs to be that every one of us who are already married, we would say this, by the grace of God, I will never stray outside of my marriage to find that in someone else, somewhere else. It's okay to be old-fashioned in this area. It is okay to be old school. It is okay to be a dinosaur. It is okay... To, to be a weirdo it's okay and and not only is it like okay to be these things it is the best thing for us god designed it to be this way and anytime we step outside of it we are hurting ourselves no matter who we are we need to the reminder for ourselves for our kids for those we know that we care about we need to be reminded what the bible says and be willing to live in accordance to that. All right? Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Father, as we come to you this evening, I pray that you would help us to be men and women who are reminded tonight of nothing else but the the purity of marriage and how you've designed it and what it's supposed to look like. 
And God, I pray that that would be our desire, not only for ourselves, but for those that we love and care about. And Lord, that we would never be willing to change our position just because it seems like we're out of date and out of touch. So I pray that you'd help us to honor you in our physical lives in this area. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.